0: Hi there, Uh, this is Cheryl, the host of this podcast, and I am talking to you in December 2023. And this is the first time I'm going to do a re-release of an earlier episode, but I'm also going to include some updates from now. So the episode today is called, um, as you probably know if you read it, (laughs) read the title, but the five things I wish I had known when I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And this is something that I reflected a lot about and I posted in October 2020, which as we all know now, looking back over three years later, that was a very, you know, unique time. It was when the pandemic was still in full swing. I don't believe that the um, vaccines had even come out yet at that point. And so, um, but you know, the episode is really about reflecting at, at that point, I'd had rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years. Now I've had it for 20 years. And it was about you know sharing with you all the things I wish I had known, and in hopes that that would help you have a more smooth journey and um feel less alone. So um, when I first looked back on this, it was interesting because I thought, wow, actually I think I would keep these five things the same <laughs> if I was um, recording this from scratch today. Um, the only thing that that really sticks out that I want to um, put a caveat for or is that I, at the time I had created a program that I was calling Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, and that has evolved and I have restructured it at times and added things to it. It is now called Room to Thrive. And so that has a self-paced course that anyone could buy and take and learn from at any point in time. And it also has the support groups, which I run once in the kind of late winter, early spring, and then once in the fall. That's that's how it's been going the last couple of years. So um, if you hear me say, you know, the course or rheumatoid arthritis roadmap, that is the old name for it in the old structure. But right, the, one of the reasons I changed it to room to thrive is that it is now uh, covering all of the rheumatic inflammatory forms of arthritis, like um psoriatic arthritis, spondyloarthritis, you know ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis and um and to some extent you know a, a lot of the material cup is um in, is relevant to all chronic um, autoimmune conditions or just chronic illnesses in general but um that was the most important thing i wanted to say that's like a um outdated i guess i would say name if you hear hear that in the Um, in this episode. But the other thing is just simply that, you know, it's really interesting that these five things to me have stayed the same. You know, the fact that rheumatoid arthritis affects more than your joints. It affects your whole life. It affects your social life. It affects your mental health. And that, you know, the gray, I think the biggest thing is the number three, that the gray areas are the norm. They're not the exception. And to spend less of my time, I wish I had not spent as much time seeking certainty. Cause I was ultimately futile that like, it's better to accept uncertainty earlier on in your journey, but that's my experience. That's my two cents. Um, and then number five, you know, still very true that managing rheumatoid arthritis is a job, an unpaid job. I sometimes refer to it as unpaid internship. Um, but that you can learn how to do it. You can get an orientation manual, whether it's my room to thrive course, you know, and support program or or it's a a book that you want to read or a different program you want to do, you know, that it's not, it's not self-evident how to manage this. This is not something that most people can just kind of intuitively figure out that there, it does take time. It takes effort because of the complexity of rheumatic disease. So anyway, I truly hope that you enjoy this re-release of the original episode 14, the five things I wish I had known when I was first diagnosed and, um, those listening to this in December, 2023. I hope you have a wonderful, you know, new year and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye for now, but keep listening to the episode. Hi everybody. I'm so excited for my first solo episode since the very first episode. So, uh, I decided it was a good time to check in and explain a little bit more about my story and yeah, just go a little bit more in depth. So, Um, Today's topic, if you didn't already read the title, is the five things I wish I'd known when I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So the first thing is that it affects a lot more than your joints. And I honestly didn't quite understand that all the way when I first got diagnosed. Um, I did understand that it was an autoimmune disease, but I still had this kind of mental disconnect that I think a lot of people have. Um, around the word arthritis. So I just thought, okay, well, it's autoimmune disease, but it's really only affecting my joints. But actually, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic disease that, and because it's autoimmune, I now understand that um, it doesn't just target your joints. It happens to target the synovial lining of your joints, but it also targets other body systems, other organs like heart, lungs, and eyes, which is definitely one I've had quite a bit of difficulty with. And you know, you can have these more systemic symptoms like fatigue and brain fog that for a while I thought were related to my medications, um, but they actually can be just related to the disease itself. And something that goes along with this idea that it affects more than just your joints is that it is a chronic lifelong condition. So you still have it, even if you might be going into remission for a little while, and that still has an effect on your life. So again, basically a little theme throughout this, you'll see is that things that seem uncomplicated at first are actually complicated. <laughs> it's kind of like a good life lesson. I guess I would say <laughs> I thought, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll have the stress to my life, but if I can just quote unquote, if I can just get it under control or just figure it out, then it won't really affect my life that much. And for example, I was in medicated remission for a while and it didn't have that. The rheumatoid arthritis didn't have as big of an adverse effect on my life, but I still had to spend a lot of time managing it. I had to go get the blood work. I had to talk to my insurance to make sure things were approved. I had to make my every three month, you know, blood work appointments. And I just had to factor it into my life decisions. You know, I had to think about the fact that I was more prone to infection and alter my behavior based on that. When I would be doing things like going swing dancing, which is a very, very, you know, Touchy-feely thing where you're, you know, exchanging germs with a lot of different people, you know. So it affects your life even when you're not symptomatic, or it can affect your life. I would say. Um, going along again, this theme of arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis affects more than just your joints. It a affects your whole body, and then b affects you know, your life and especially as a young person. So I I just mentioned things like appointments and just having to learn really early on to be your own advocate, but it also can affect, you know, your sex life, your romance and your choice of careers. And I know that a lot of my um, quote unquote roommates or friends with rheumatoid arthritis have also, you know, drastically changed what they thought they might do in their life based on arthritis, their rheumatoid arthritis. They might not, it isn't to say that, oh, you can't do anything that you wanted before. There are plenty of people with RA who are doctors or, you know, other, you know, high intensity careers, but it's important to take it into account. For example, for me, even though I wasn't very symptomatic at the time, I chose to go to grad school, I chose occupational therapy over a more physically demanding field, like physical therapy for many, many reasons. But one of them was that I wanted a career that could, um, I could have a lot of flexibility around And, and, and PT has less flexibility than OT. Number two is that Rheumatoid arthritis will affect your social life in some way. It's beyond just the joint. So this is kind of like a subsection of point number one. I had a hard time making these points, dividing them into categories because I have one of those brains where I see the connections between things. And so I'm always like, oh, that relates to that. But anyway, so, you know, it affects your social life affects things like dating and your friendships. And I think the thing that I see over and over again on social media is people who feel alienated. Um, so that's one of the negative things is that you can feel alienated from friends and family because they don't understand. And literally just minutes before recording this, I, I, I saw, you know, um, someone who said that people just keep thinking that my arthritis is only in my knee or only in my hand. And it's really my, it's in my whole body, you know? And that's why when someone's like, where's your arthritis, I'm like, it's everywhere, you know, it's, um, and what, or what happened to your hand, my immune system. That's my little joke. I think knowledge is power. So preparing yourself when you first get diagnosed to understand that this isn't just this kind of simplistic mentality of like, I'm just going to live my life perfectly exactly how I did before. And like, it's not going to affect anything. You know, I think some people do I think first of all you do you whatever helps you function in your world what i'm trying to say is that maybe don't be blindly optimistic about this idea that i'm not gonna let it affect me because it's pretty hard to not let it affect you and for me i'd rather face that head-on than like be kind of in denial so that's something when i look back and kind of wish that i had understood that again instead of just being like okay fine i'm just gonna take these meds and like not worry about how this might actually affect my life long term you know just consider prepare yourself for how you're going to explain it to friends and family. And actually that's why in my course, the rheumatoid arthritis roadmap, I have a whole section about how RA affects your social life in general. And that includes things like how to address other people's misunderstandings and misconceptions, and then also how it um, affects specific relationships like marriage and dating. And you know, there's tons of research out there. It's really fascinating. As an occupational therapist, I've had the chance to look at a lot of the research. And there's research on how chronic illnesses in general affect marriages and not just the person who's who has the illness, it affects the partner too. That's something to, again, take, look at it head on. Don't try to be necessarily in denial is my general advice. Again, if denial helps for you, I'm kind of like at the end of the day, it's all about what works for you. But my observation for of others has been that denial is um, a short-term strategy and it, it rarely is necessarily the best thing for you long-term. But again, if to get you over a hump, sometimes you just have to have a little denial. The other thing about how it affects your social life though is it can affect your social life in a lot of good ways in the sense that you know who's really there for you in your own pre-existing friend group, but you also get to know new people, you're part of a community, whether you know it or not, when you get diagnosed, you're part of an online community and a global community of people with your same diagnosis. That's been really incredible to me. I mean, I got diagnosed in 2003. So before social media, like there was really no way when I got diagnosed to connect with other patients, other than like in-person events, like the Jingle Bell Run for the Arthritis Foundation, or in the waiting room. And that can lead to a lot of alienation, especially for young people. Like for me being diagnosed at age 21 and then going to a waiting room with a rheumatologist and being like, wow, I'm the only young person here. Or people like assume you're there waiting for your parent or grandparent, you know, and you're like, no, I'm here for me, you know? Um, And honestly, that didn't really bother me too much, but I know a lot of patients that gets, kind of gets them down. Um, and so, you know, but knowing that, wait, you're not the only one that's had that waiting room experience. You know, when you go online and you connect in groups, you can, um, feel like you're not alone and you know, and not even just feel that you're not alone, you know, because you see other people's stories and you can connect to them. And when you've been through something that kind of makes you think about your own mortality and think about like, okay, wait, I can't take this stuff for granted. I can't take my body for granted. Like, I don't know that it's actually going to work forever. Even as as starting to get that kind of perspective as a young person, it does change your outlook on life. So um, I've, I've been really amazed at the friendships I've developed and it's particularly since the pandemic actually. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks, and it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory, autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. One last thing about that, I'm publishing a free training this week on um, how to overcome overwhelm through online health literacy. I swear, I try so hard not to have super long titles, but this is just who I am as a person. It's hard. So, um, so what that is, is it's actually a um, lesson from the course that I decided to make a free preview lesson because it's so important and I see people get confused all the time trying to find health information about their rheumatoid arthritis online and they get really confused and they go down rabbit holes and it's like a stage everyone goes through at some point but there are some ways of kind of figuring out what information is valid and what isn't and about social media I'll, I'll just quickly review one of the topics that I think is super important but I see people get wrong all the time is representativeness which In the context of chronic illness, that means if I'm encountering someone else on social media and they maybe have my same diagnosis, and maybe they're even taking the same medicine as me, are they representative of what I might experience in in my prognosis or my long-term disease? And it's so tempting to think that everyone's going to be representative because we want to find others who can have the similar experience to us, but actually knowing whether another patient is re- as representative of your experience is really, really complicated. I'll give you a quick example. Let's say like I'm on methotrexate and I've been on methotrexate on and off since 2003. And then there might be two other people in a social media group. One of them diagnosed in 1982 before methotrexate was available and biologics were available. And then they get put on methotrexate like in 2001 or something. And then there's somebody who gets diagnosed with mild rheumatoid arthritis, in 2019, let's say, all three of us, even though we're all on methotrexate, we're gonna have a different prognosis long-term, because first of all, my RA at my diagnosis wasn't mild, it was classified as severe, and so, already i'm starting behind that person from 2019 but also i've had it for longer so i'm also behind her but i'm way ahead of the person diagnosed in 1982 because they had 20 years of disease progression or i can't even do the math i just did um before they even got put on methotrexate so but it's so tempting to just be like oh well they're on methotrexate and this happened therefore it's going to happen to me you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I don't know if you know, because I'm just talking to myself right now, knowing whether someone's representative and knowing whether or not you're making the mistake of assuming they're representative when they're not is one of the biggest, most important things for like what I, I mean, for lack of a better word, health literacy, or like understanding how to make sense of health information when it comes to peer to peer health information. Just be careful to not overgeneralize from someone else's experience that might not be representative of yours. So that's number two, is knowing that it'll affect your social life, your own kind of personal my, you know, micro social life of like friends and family, but also you're gonna become part of this social network. Ooh, the social network of chronic illness warriors. Okay, so number three really nicely stems from what I was just saying at the end about how complicated people's prognoses can be and just these illnesses, autoimmune diseases are notoriously tricky. So number three is that like, there are going to be a lot of gray areas. And like, for me, it's become important to accept that those gray areas exist rather than saying, oh no, I just need to do something different or see a different doctor to get someone to give me a black and white answer. And even just the diagnosis itself, like Dr. Baldaria said, um, you know, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. That means that it's not like there's one silver bullet, like, oh, you have X thing on your blood. You absolutely Hundred percent, for sure, have RA. No, they have to do physical exam, medical history, and blood work. You know, to actually determine the diagnosis. So, know that gray areas are the norm, not not the exception, when it comes to like rheumatology and autoimmune issues, and not just the you know, ambiguities and gray areas around, like, what do you have, but also what should we do? (laughs) There are some like gold standards and there's a lot of research that shows like, okay, certain things are very, very likely to be effective, but it still doesn't mean necessarily anyone can say hundred percent. So understanding gray areas and ambiguity and, and being able to tolerate those, it became such an important skill to me over time. So if I'm saying what I wish I knew in the beginning, it is that, you know, the sooner I could have accepted that gray areas are part of this journey, it probably would have saved me from some unnecessary heartache because if you think something's a problem and you try to solve it and it's not actually solvable, you just end up wasting your energy, right? You're like, oh, how can I just make this black and white? I'm just going to figure out how to make it black and white. And you know that problem-solving technique only works if that's actually realistically possible. Unfortunately, I think there are some people out there that – kind of prey on the vulnerability that patients feel when they kind of start coming to grips with this ambiguity. You know, as we talked about with the nutrition episode, you know, anytime someone says, you know, like, all you have to do is follow this diet and you're going to carry your RA, I just would, I would caution you to take that with a grain of salt because it, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it might be. Again, at the end of the day, if you're the lucky patient that it works for, then that's that's good. But for you, you know, but um, you know, the gray areas again are are more typically experienced. So let's just say there's a thing in science called the null hypothesis, which means like when you're about to do an experiment, the null hypothesis is that nothing will change in the, in the, um, experimental group. Meaning, you know, let's say you're saying, okay, I want to know whether let's use a hot topic. I want to know whether CBD is going to help with my pain. I'm going to say, okay, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to take CBD for my pain. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I'm going to not take CBD for my pain and, and then rate my pain every, those days and see if CBD worked. The null hypothesis is that it won't work regardless of what we're, what we're testing. It's always kind of that the null hypothesis is that the variable that you're changing will not have an effect. That's kind of how I try to see my prognosis now is that, okay, all you know for sure, and this is kind of where the acceptance and mindfulness comes in, is that like, all I know for sure is the present moment. And so if I have to kind of make an assumption about the future, I'm just going to say, okay, what if it doesn't change? What if my pain never gets worse or never gets better? Like, what can I still do? How can I still function? So the next thing I wanted to talk about was number four, what I wish I knew was that it will You know, living with a chronic illness, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or, you know, any, I'm thinking about the GI ones, but anything like it's usually going to affect your mental health at some point. Um, but you can learn tools to cope with that. One of the things that's unique about my personal history is that I had a very, very um, untraumatic childhood. Even like my psychologist said, you know, they described, they would describe like my family life and my upbringing as like a positive outlier, which I've always loved that because it's true. I mean, my parents are happily married. I have a very stable family i really love my brother and sister like i'm not gonna say like yeah i walked on rainbows like every single day but it was like a realistically like really happy childhood. I felt like for a long time, even after my diagnosis of RA, well, I shouldn't feel bad about it because everything else in my life has gone so well. I shouldn't feel bad about this. It was a double-edged sword. I'm not going to say it was like a bad way to think, but it was like almost like a form of like toxic positivity to myself. For a while, I didn't really engage with like actually just acknowledging that this was hard and that that's okay that it's not easy for me sometimes so for example like when i started going to therapy finally i finally went to therapy when my son was one year old and before that i was like well therapy is for people who have like really big problems and like mine aren't that big Do you know what I mean? It's like gratitude for what you have is so, so helpful. But if you use that gratitude to like minimize your legitimate suffering, that's not helpful, you know, to say, well, and actually I had this great conversation with one of the professors at Vassar. I said, like, I just feel like everything in my life has gone well, except for my health. And so I should be, I should be more grateful. Like I shouldn't make, I shouldn't feel sad about my health situation right now. This is before my diagnosis when I was just suffering from like a mystery ailment that everyone kept telling me, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're not sick. And he was like, well, Cheryl, if it's like essential vitamin, if you have like 200% of every vitamin, except for one vitamin, let's say vitamin Z, you only have 10% you're going to feel that loss. Like the extra vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin D, they're not going to make up for the lack of Z. It's it's a different thing and you don't have it, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best truth bomb. His name's Peter Leonard. Anyway, I think he's still there. Hi, Peter, if you're listening. But that was the first step for me being like, oh, like I had to allow myself to feel grief about just what I been was going through. Like going through the, the trauma of being... not believed by people in power who had the power to make me feel better or to understand what my physically was happening with me, I was dismissed repeatedly. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that because I had grown up trusting adults. So I was like, okay, well, um, you know, these doctors are telling me I'm not sick. So I'm not sick. Lo and behold, I actually was sick, you know, and that was a huge blow that was like and I should say again I'm privileged in terms of socioeconomic I have white privilege as a Caucasian person And so I I want to acknowledge that I grew up privileged, but I didn't have health privilege at that time, right? Health privilege or able-bodied privilege is the privilege of living and inhabiting in a body that works. And I didn't have that, but it was worse than not having that. I was told that I had it by the doctors, the people in power, that you're not sick. You're literally just being a hypochondriac. It's like a firefighter coming to someone's house and being like, it's not on fire. Stop calling us. The person's like, yeah, it's on fire. They're like, no, it's not. Nope. We did the test. It's not on fire. It's such a horrifying feeling looking back. I was really gaslit. Like that's the best way to put it. I want to be clear that I don't think there are any particular providers that like were intentionally gaslighting. I think the doctors believe they were right. They don't even know that they're doing it. (laughs) Like, so they think that they've got the right solution. And and one of my long-term goals, like my like bucket list goals is to do some sort of campaign. Doctors have to be trained to understand what to do about situations where they don't know that the person's not sick, but they don't know that they are sick because the answer cannot be that absence of a diagnosis means that you're not sick. If the average time of diagnosis of an autoimmune disease is like five to seven years, that means that person for five to seven years was sick and was being told constantly that they're not sick. And that's not acceptable. And I think, yes, there are people out there who have like an illness, anxiety disorder, where they are truly believing that they're sick when they're not. But to me, it's like, it's almost like the death penalty where like, if you can't be 100% sure that everyone who's getting that is guilty it's like a non-starter for me right even whether or not philosophically it should have it like if you can't be sure that you're inaccurately diagnosing someone as a hypochondriac who isn't, you shouldn't diagnose anyone as a hypochondriac. That's my opinion. Um, nobody asks for it. What I wish I had known is that this will affect your mental health. The disease itself, it can be a stressful thing. You're going to have to learn how to manage. You're going to learn have to learn how to cope. And you know, I've talked, I think every single episode, I've talked about acceptance and commitment therapy, except for maybe the Um, diet and exercise ones, but, you know, acceptance-based therapy, acceptance, not meaning resignation, but being able to tolerate or sit with the current present moment from like a mindfulness standpoint, that has been the best for me personally. You know, I just feel like if I could just give everyone a copy of the happiness trap by Russ Harris, it's just been the most helpful thing. So, so just again, prepare yourself. This is not just a physical condition, it affects your, your brain too. And of course, even just this whole idea of like a brain body difference, there is no true difference. Like your brain is part of your body. So then number five uh, is going to be that, you know, learning how to manage your disease. So this is kind of that CEO level, like where you're the executive director of your life. Like this, managing this is a job, <laughs> like managing this chronic long-term disease is a job that it requires a lot of skills, And you can learn them and you will learn them over time, but there are harder ways of learning them and there are easier ways of learning them. And so, you know, of course, I happen to think that doing something like my online program, the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap is really, really smart. (laughs) I literally created it for this reason, but of course I'm very biased. So take it from whoever, you know, do your research and figure out who you think is going to be the best to help you, but know that learning how to manage the physical symptoms, the pain and the fatigue and knowing how to sort through what amount of exercise is the right amount for you, what kind of dietary interventions are going to be best for you, what can you do to cope, you know, on the mental side of things, what can you do to develop your own little coping toolbox or toolkit, how can you manage your social life, how do you explain this to friends and family, but also how do you manage your symptom tracking and your medication tracking and all these kind of organizational aspects you know you have to be in touch with all these different providers and the insurance and then the financial side of things and then you have to manage your rest of your life you know the like normal everyday tasks like cooking and cleaning and and so know that there are tools out there yeah and just approach it like a job is i guess what i would say i think i felt really scattered for a while until i learned of this concept called self-management when I went to occupational therapy school. And self-management basically means managing all the different ways that your disease affects your life. The symptom tracking, the appointments, um, your kind of game plan for how you're going to manage symptoms like pain and fatigue on a daily basis. And, you know, though that is a skill that you can learn over time and you know you can learn it on your own or you can learn it with support so that's why i created my my program cuz i saw a big gap you know i saw that people were getting diagnosed and then just told okay come back in 3 months you cannot in 20 minutes get enough information from your doctor to figure out how to navigate this this new normal what people end up having to do is kind of piece things together on their own they have like 25 tabs open in their computer and they're just struggling to reconcile and sort through. It's such a cognitive load. It's almost like when you're trying to learn a new language, it's so laborious. (laughs) Once you know it, you're just fluent. And I honestly think when you're a doctor or you're a health provider, it's like you just take for granted all that you had to go through to learn that knowledge. Oh, well, the patients will just figure it out. They'll just figure out how how to exercise and how to figure out you know fatigue and how to track their symptoms they'll just figure it out like they don't realize like they forget like because they're fluent in that language they forget like how much went into it that learning process and that learning curve and it's just really really painful I've noticed for a lot of people people who try to do it on their own it's harder than doing it with support but you also have to do it with the right support because you might find people who you know have good intentions, but might lead people down the wrong path. They don't understand. That. I've been, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I have been targeted by certain people who will say, "Oh, just do my program, and it's going to heal your RA and cure your RA." And I'm like, I don't agree. <laughs> like, I don't agree that that it is that simple. I, anyone who says that they a hundred percent guarantee that anyone who does their diet program or whatnot can cure it, it is. To me, that's false advertising because there's, there is scientifically like nothing out there that's guaranteed to work for everyone. So I think there are alternative medicine programs that are very, that are very balanced in their marketing. And so I'm, I'm not against anything alternate by any means. There's one that's a, a patient does her own program and it's like based on Ayurvedic medicine. And she says very straightforward, like this may help you. It may it may help you heal parts of the disease. It may not put it in. If you are interested in trying this for your toolbox, this is what's worked for me. And I think that's a really balanced and real reasonable way to approach it. And all these gray areas that I think, again, it, there's this disconnect that, and this is my soapbox of why I created Arthritis Life, but the information is out there in bits and pieces, right? It's, but it's kind of like, trying to learn a language by just going to all these different websites and like piecing together, like, Oh, well this website says this, but this says that you need someone to help you sort through the noise, sort through the bad quality from the good quality information. So I'm not knocking any of the stuff that's already out there. I just, the reason I developed my rheumatoid arthritis roadmap program is I didn't see anywhere where somebody could go through at their own pace something that was comprehensive and covered all of the areas of how it affects your life, not just exercise, not just diet, not just fatigue, not just pain, not just mental, a little bit of everything. It has those things, but it's also the self-management skills of like tracking symptoms and, and communication and social life, how it affects your mental health. Like it has an overview of each one of those things. So that's why the analogy I like to think about it is like, it's kind of like a um, orientation manual for a new job, but it's also like a driver's ed manual. But like at the end of the day, you are in the driver's seat. Like you're not going to have a health provider with you like 24 hours a day. And that's not realistic or reasonable. So when I say that patients need more than like a 20 minute doctor's appointment every three months, I don't mean that they need like a 24 hour appointment every day. They need more support in my opinion, at the beginning of their journey to get them off on the right foot, to teach them the skills to where they can then run with them on a daily basis. And they can sort through the noise on the internet about what's good and what's not. And so I feel really passionate about the need for this kind of program. And obviously the testimonials I've gotten have really helped me know that I'm on the right track. Um, One of the ones that I really liked is from Laura in August. She said, you know, Cheryl's course empowered me to take charge of my newly diagnosed RA. I'd recommend this course to anyone that's feeling overwhelmed and confused by their diagnosis. It provides you with clear, concise information, plus a community of people that are dealing with similar issues. Also, you know, Anne said back in June, I was hesitant to spend money on this course. I totally get that, but I'm so glad I signed up. Cheryl's perspective as both an occupational therapist and a patient, the personal attention she provides and the opportunity to ask questions helped me take more control of my medical journey. And Armani said in June, I now have a solid foundation of practical strategies to live a fulfilling life, even with RA. And that—that that is really like my heart. Like that's what I want is for people to understand you can have- a great life, a fulfilling life, even with RA or despite RA. You don't have to see it as like something that you necessarily have to like cure before you can have a good life. You know, there are tools you can use to work around it to be able to function better in your life. I really love what Melissa said. She said, you know, I cried so many tears of relief during this course, because I felt validated for the very first time. It was such an empowering opportunity to learn from Cheryl. I wish I'd had it years ago, but I'm so happy to have it now. And one more, one more. Okay. This is from Sarah in June, getting valuable information each week about the things that really matter to me from someone who gets it was so helpful. I now feel so much less alone and more confident in managing my illness. So of course, this week, it is the reason I'm Talking about it right at this exact moment is that I'm planning on making the course available three times a year, and it's currently the fall one is available now. So then, and then after that, I have a, a separate uh, Facebook group for all the graduates. So it's been really, really amazing this year just um, being able to put this together. You know, I started it in January, I started working on it, and then the first um, beta course came out in March and obviously that was a really weird time, March and April. I have just been really blown away by the people who participated in it and just seeing the transformations that they've experienced, like going from being like, I don't know where to go, what to do like, I don't know how to make sense of this. I feel alone. I'm the only one. Like I have to go through this all on my own. Who's going to help me, you know, to like just the validation, even just someone in the group, you know, saying like, Oh yeah, me too. That's just been really, really powerful. So again, I have this is me talking to you now in 2023. I'm putting a little bit of some more context into this part of the episode. So, you know, the, when I listen now back to you know the things that people had said in 2020 about the program, even though I've changed it and made what I think are you know improvements and um, to the course and restructured it as room to thrive, um, it's really amazing to see that the, the, feed, the positive feedback is is very similar. You know, feeling validated, feeling getting valuable information about the things that really matter and feeling not alone having support not having to go through it all on your own. So in a way when I'm reflecting back on this, you know, 3 years later, I see that it's one of those, you know, um, you know, the experience of having a autoimmune illness like rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis is, you know, there are so many um there are things that are just there the challenges are the same. They just present themselves differently at different moments in time and different stages of your life. And it sounds so simple, but it really is that power of hearing someone else saying me too, like you're not the only one, you know, this week I just wrapped up the fall 2023 cohorts that had been meeting, um, since September to December. And a lot of people said, you know, it's not like I didn't, you know, before this program, I logically knew that I wasn't the only one, that I wasn't alone, but I didn't feel that emotionally. And so when you have the opportunity to be live with other people, even in a Zoom t- chat, everything's still online in all my programs at the moment, Um, it is this feeling of live connection that we're sitting together. We're sitting in the, the discomfort. We're sitting in the uncertainty. We're sitting in that not being sure what parts of your illness are solvable, which parts of them are perpetual, you know, what? how much energy should I spend trying to fix my health issues, reduce my pain, reduce my fatigue, versus how much mental energy should I spend adapting to this and saying this, maybe this is as good as it gets, you know, dealing with the ambiguity of that and the uncertainty and knowing that it's not like you're missing something obvious. It's just, it's hard because it's hard, um has been really wonderful. And I would just add, you know, a lot of people really just enjoy making friends with others who have that kind of set um, shared experience. And so it's not just about talking about, you know, our our illnesses in the Room to Thrive support groups. It's also about, you know, be connecting about the books that we love, you know, what we wanted to be when we grew up as kids, shared experiences, where we wanna travel the world, you know, remembering who you are and what you value and what's important to you outside of your condition is really important too. I also wanted to share with permission an email I got from Catherine who took the program in the summer of 2023. I had like a special um additional group I did And she said, "Um, I just wanted to let you know, I had a great rheumatology appointment today and I credit you and your course for that. I have been actively managing this disease for three years now. And I was finally able to walk away from an appointment feeling like I got the most out of it. I don't think I would have been able to have such a productive appointment if I had not been part of your program. I felt prepared and like I had enough foundation to know where at least to start and somewhat how to prioritize and express my needs and concerns. Without boring you with all the details, of course, it wouldn't bore me. um, It was a win. I feel more confident with the direction of my plan of care. I feel empowered and like I am an actual part of my care team. So yay, I'm eternally grateful for you and your program. So that was obviously just music to my ears, you know, and that's exactly why I created it. I just don't think people should be left on their own to try to navigate all of this. So um, you know, the the waitlist is always open to join the next groups, but also the room to thrive self-paced course is always um, open for you to to take the pre-recorded self-paced course at any time. All of the information was re-recorded and up updated and recorded again in March 2023 so it's up to date with the latest evidence. So that's very exciting. And I'm gonna um go back and now I'll stop talking now from 2023. Go back to my little 2020 self to finish the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Just to grab things with a tidy bow. So I had the, the five things I wish I had known when I was diagnosed. And then again, these are of course the things that helped motivate me to structure my course the way I have to where it's really comprehensive. I wish A, I had known that it affects more than your joints. Two, I wish I knew it would affect my social life, but there were things I could do, but it would affect it in some challenging ways and also some positive ways in terms of opening me to some, the Spoonie community, the online communities. Three is that treatment plans and prognoses are a bit of a gray area and gray areas are just going to be the norm. And I have to kind of get used to ambiguity and things that aren't black and white, which has been hard, but really important. And then four is that, you know, it can affect or it will affect most likely your mental health, but you will learn through therapy <laughs> and through other strategies, you know, how to accept your current state and how to be in the present moment rather than only just focusing on the future, you know, what could go wrong. And then five is that managing it is a job, but you can learn how to do this job. There are ways to do it that are just like any job. There are ways that are more efficient and less efficient. And there are ways that are more painful or less painful. So um, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, It was fun to just share a little bit more about my journey and my story. I do have a 20 minute long video on YouTube and Instagram TV of my like specifically the diagnosis journey. And the little fun, um, I'll put that in the show notes, but a tidbit about that is that um, it includes uh, videos of Teddy when he was a tiny puppy because I filmed it in like July, 2019. So um, I might maybe turn that into a podcast episode at some point too, but this was kind of like little pieces of my personal story sprinkled through my things I wish I had known. So thanks again. Don't forget to join the free Facebook group, Arthritis Live Podcasts, practical tips and realistic support (laughs) the longest facebook name you could possibly have okay thanks so much and bye bye for now thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast this episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program i created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident supported and connected in a matter of weeks You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.